Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Megan Kimball will join us to discuss unprocessed. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, few of us probably stopped to ponder how the food we eat gets to our table, but the history of the modern food supply is one of increasing industrialization and processing, so much so that it may be inescapable. Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Ms. Megan Kimball. Ms. Kimball is a food writer living in Tucson, Arizona, which she works as a managing editor of Edible Baja, Arizona, a local foods magazine serving Tucson and the borderlands. She is a regular contributor to the Los Angeles Times, and her articles and essays have appeared in High Country News, the Bellevue Literary Review and Gulf Coast, among other places. She is the author of the new book, Unprocessed, My City-Dwelling Year of Reclaiming Real Food, and she joins us today to discuss her adventures in unprocessed food. Uh, Ms. Kimball, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you've written about your adventure on trying to reclaim real food, as you put it. Why did you decide to go about this adventure and, and eventually write the book here? Good question. You know, I had read what a lot of us have read, how destructive the industrial food system is for the environment, our soils, water, feeling pretty overwhelmed with how vast it is. And I really wanted to find a way in on a personal level. You know, what can any one individual eater do to have an impact on the food system? So I had read what many of us had read about our food system, how destructive it is for the environment, for our soils, for our water. And I was feeling really overwhelmed. You know, what can any one individual eater do to have an impact on the food system? And the idea of sort of unprocessing my own food supply, figuring out how I could reclaim food processes from wheat to sugar to dairy in my own kitchen and in my own life was a really sort of appealing thing to think about, oh, I can have an impact. You know, the money I spend will impact our food system. The foods that I eat impact my body and changing those, it it seemed like a really sort of positive thing that I could do. So how did how did you even go about starting this walk down the the supermarket aisle? Pretty much everything uh, probably is processed, right? Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the supermarket reading ingredient labels. It was a kind of stressful first few weeks realizing how much stuff is in the food we eat. So, you know, you go down any aisle in the supermarket and there are preservatives, there are emulsifiers and additives, and sugar is something that is in absolutely every food that was really surprising to find out. So the first thing I did was just started reading every ingredient label for every food that I bought. The sort of constraints that I set at the beginning of the year was that a food was unprocessed if I could theoretically make it in my home kitchen. So, for example, I did grind up wheat berries into whole grain flour. I got a little hand crank grain grinder, but I couldn't at home take that a step further and make refined white flour. You know, I didn't have bleach or chemicals or the sifting machine that is needed to do that. So I theoretically could have made cheese at home. I couldn't make food coloring to make that cheese orange. So I bought foods, real food defined, I guess, in the words of Michael Pollan. So if you could, if I could conceptualize how a food was made to me, it seemed unprocessed. Did you find any gray areas in terms of uh, is this really processed or is it actually bad if it's processed? 
That's a great question. It's all gray area. You know, all food is processed. Cooking is a kind of process. You know, applying heat changes a food structure. And so food processing is not inherently bad. We've been processing food since we started planting wheat, harvesting it, and making bread. So I wanted to find the line of what made food too processed, and that was a lot of the exploration of my year and in my book. You know, it's a really it's really hard to figure out where to draw the line, and it was different for every kind of food. So it's different for dairy than it is for vegetables than it is for sugar. And I think that's also a really personal question. Every person has to decide that for themselves, given their constraints of money and time, what makes food too processed. Was there anything that surprised you in terms of how processed it was? I mean, I said this, but it was shocking to me to find out how many food sugar is in. You know, marinara sauce and mustard. I found one brand of mustard that the first ingredient listed, which means it's the highest quantity in that food, was high fructose corn syrup. So just reading ingredient labels was a sort of shocking portal into our food system of how much unnecessary stuff is in our food. And so it's not just how much unnecessary stuff we're putting into our bodies, but all that stuff comes from somewhere. And, you know, there are factories and mines that make all of these additives. It's not just sort of down-the-street additives. So thinking not only about how that impacts your body, but how that impacts the food system as a whole. Can we even get away from sugars? Yeah, so I, during my year, ate honey, so locally produced honey. You know, I went and talked to beekeepers and learned about how honey is made. And so honey, you know, the the process of extracting it is just taking out a honeycomb and extracting that nectar. So sugar is the one that sort of the conclusion I came to is that to your body, sugar is sugar. You know, it doesn't really matter if that glucose comes from an apple or if it comes from high fructose corn syrup in a soda. What's really important in terms of our health is how much sugar we're eating and how quickly we're eating it. So the difference between an apple and soda is that in an apple, that same glucose molecule is all bound up in fiber and cellulose, and so it takes longer for that sugar to trickle through your body and hit your liver. In a soda, you know, there's nothing there to stop that arrival in your system, so it's much more stressful. So for sugar, you know, the conclusion I came to is it's also important sort of what sugar you're eating, it's how much and then in what quantity. Uh, what about salt? There's always a lot of complaint about how much salt is in everything. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't think that necessarily that salt is processed. I actually made my own salt in the book because I wanted to sort of understand how so many of these quote-unquote additives and chemicals, how do they even come to be? We mine salt out of the earth or we evaporate it from the sea, which is what I did. Certainly, salt is in too many foods. That's not something I struggle with as much because I, you know, I'm young and I'm active, and so my salt intake is pretty high, and I think it's fine. But the reason that I think salt is sort of processed is that it preserves foods, and so you can add lots of salt to foods to make them last forever on our shelves. Well, why don't crackers need to last a year on our shelves? And that, I think, definitely does have an impact. What about meat? You say that some meat is processed. Yeah. So I guess I should start by saying I was raised by two vegetarians. Personally, that was a sort of trying journey for me. I'm not a vegetarian and have been kind of on and off my whole life. I'm not currently. But, you know, I had read what so many of us have read about our industrial food system, about how destructive concentrated animal feedlots are, not only for the environment, but also for the animal welfare, and seen all the documentaries. So I didn't experience it firsthand, but I felt like I had a pretty good sense of what our industrial food meat system is like. But I also wanted to figure out a way to see if meat could be unprocessed. And so I talked to a lot of ranchers. You know, people who are raising animals in a way that sort of benefits soil, benefits land, you know, as much sort of ecological stewards as they are ranchers. You know, I had one rancher tell me that beef is just a mechanism to grow grass. You know, that's how you monetize grass production. So 
I think that there is a way to raise meat responsibly, and and that tends to be small scale. It tends to be much more expensive than the meat that we can find at the average supermarket. And so, to me, meat is unprocessed when it's sustainably raised and responsibly slaughtered, and that costs more, frankly. And so, probably we should be eating less meat. Another thing you talk about in the book is alcohol, and is it even possible to have unprocessed alcohol? Yeah, I mean, and that kind of brings up the question of the book is that not all processing is bad. You know, like like I said, humans have been processing food as long as we've been clustered together into civilizations. You know, when we stopped being hunter-gatherers, we started growing grain, we started making mead, you know, out of honey that we gathered from the wild. And so I don't think that all food processing is bad. In fact, most of it was really great for human nutrition. It extended our longevity. We got a lot more nutrients because of processing, you know, makes foods more accessible to our digestive system. So alcohol, humans have been making alcohol for thousands of years. Mead, for example, is one of the first ones that we have documented evidence of. So I tried to make mead at home. It was fine. It was not that great tasting nor very alcoholic as it turned out. So, you know, I think that kind of on their surface, wine and beer is fermentation is a really healthy process. There are lots of studies that show that fermented foods are actually really good for us. And so that process doesn't seem like one that we really need to avoid. But of course, there are processes within large scale alcohol production. Like, you know, why is wine so cheap? How does, How is wine so cheap? Well, because they add sugar and they add flavorings and to really bad grapes. How is beer so cheap? Well, they often use rice instead of barley. They sometimes use corn. You know, they add things in to make it so that it tastes the same on a mass scale. So that was what I was interested in looking at in alcohol, less the sort of process of making alcohol. So in the end, we have all this food, whether it be processed or unprocessed. In the end, people are going to consume it and extract some nutrients out of it. How much does it matter if the food is processed or not? Yeah, I think it matters a lot. There have been a lot more sort of studies coming out of nutrition science recently that shows that show that it's less important what you're eating than how you're eating it. And so your body interacts with food fundamentally different way depending on its level of processing. So think about the difference between eating corn on the cob or corn chips or high fructose corn syrup. You can viscerally imagine that your body's going to respond differently to those three foods, and yet they all come from corn. They are all corn. The difference is their level of processing. So in the process of experience with trying to with unprocessed food, how easy was it? Do you think it's possible for people in, in the modern era to live with unprocessed food? And how viable is it financially and, and socially? I think it's totally viable. And like I said, I think it's up to each individual to decide what makes food too processed for them. So, you know, you can make all your own food at home. You can make your own tortillas and your own bread. But you can also find food companies that make tortillas with only corn and water. And lime. You know, you can find bread that's only whole grain and yeast. So I think that there is a sort of like compromise that we can make being modern, you know, urbanized people to find, you know, we don't have to make all of our own food ourselves to eat unprocessed. And that's what I found. You know, I was working full time. I made very little money. And so I couldn't produce all my own food. I had to outsource so much of that processing to other people. And so I think that it's sort of incumbent upon eaters to think about where is the money that you're spending on that food going? Is it going to some local producer in your community that you can go say, hey, local producer, how do you make this particular food? Oh, okay, that sounds great. Or is it going to a large corporation where you have no access to how they're processing and, and making that food? So I think that it's absolutely doable. The first step is just to really read the ingredient label on every food that you buy. You know, what's in it? What are you eating? I think for me, it was a revelation to figure out what I was putting in my body. 
And the second thing is really, I think, to sort of go out into your local community wherever you happen to live and and find the people who are producing food there. You know, we are lucky to live in a time when that's really experiencing a resurgence. And so I think in most communities, you're going to find really great people making good food. And that, I think, is so much easier and more pleasant to go find those people and spend your money that way. Were there any other resources that came across uh, that you could rec- recommend for people who are uh, trying to take a little more of a step in this direction? Um, on the ingredient label front, the Center for Science and the Public Interest, CSPI, has a really wonderful app. It's called Chemical Cuisine. And you can, when you're in the supermarket scrutinizing labels and have no idea what those words are, you can enter them into this app and it gives a little description of what that additive is and if it's harmful, if it's not harmful, what it's used for, where it comes from. And I found that to be hugely helpful. We are running slightly out of time here. I'm just curious if you have some uh, final words regarding living uh, with unprocessed foods. I guess I would say there's a lot of nutrition science behind how eating unprocessed is beneficial to your health. There's a lot of research about how it's better for the environment and food miles, food transportation, all the fossil fuels that are embedded in our food system. But, like, really the takeaway for me is that unprocessed food tastes better. It's more filling. It's more satisfying. It's just sort of better to eat. I feel better. So I think it's kind of a win on all fronts. Well, I think everybody uh, can always look forward to eating better and tastier foods. Yeah, I mean, why would you not want to eat tastier food? I love food. All right. Well, uh, the new book is called Unprocessed, My City-Dwelling Year of Reclaiming Real Food, and the author is Ms. Megan Kimball. And uh, Ms. Kimball, thank you very much again for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.